Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of Philippians and uh, in this particular section in chapter 4, we've been talking about the mind and the importance of the mind, and so I've just labeled this message this morning, What Lies Do You Believe? Part 2. Actually, it's really part 3. And if you've missed any of these messages, especially dealing with the mind for the last couple of weeks, please uh, listen to those and study those. I don't think there's any more important messages than we're going through in these next several weeks and, and previous. And so you just go to the Bethlehem Community Church website and you just click media and you can listen to the podcast or you can just go to YouTube and see it on YouTube. All right. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the great time we've already just had in worship and worshiping you, and there's nothing like it. And and now, Lord, as we continue to talk about the mind and the importance of the mind, I just ask, Holy Spirit, you truly are welcome here. We know you're present, but I'm, I'm asking even for a greater manifestation. I'm asking for a greater manifestation, Lord. I ask that you truly would just give us ears that could hear. May you just give us soft hearts that would receive and not have walls. I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. We don't need to hear a word from man or my opinion. But what we do need, especially this morning, is to hear your word. Your word can bring life. I ask even now, Holy Spirit, that you begin to build a fresh faith within us. A faith in your word and the power of your word and what it can do for our lives. And So I'm just thanking you for what you're going to do now for the next several minutes. And I just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are two real realities in life, and the first one is I can make a decision that I'm going to seek truth. I'm going to be a seeker of truth. You can make that decision. I'm going to seek truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. So when I talk about truth, there really is only one truth, and that truth is found in Jesus Christ. The second reality I can live in, and unfortunately this is where the vast majority of people live, is I can live in my own truth. I can create my own world. I can create my own truth. And, you know, when you do that, uh, you're going to find out that uh, you're going to live in bondage 
you're going to live in defeat and death. The other way, you see, if you decide to live in Jesus' truth, Jesus says to walk in the truth, to know the truth, then you walk in freedom. You experience freedom in here. How many could say this morning that you really have freedom and you're experiencing freedom and you're not experiencing defeat and you're not experiencing death? You see, God wants you to walk in truth. He wants you to be victorious. He wants you to win in life. And then there's someone else, Satan. He, he's the deceiver and he wants you and I to walk in lies so that we walk in defeat and death. And the apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter four and verse eight. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Paul tells us that our minds matter. We need to think about what we're thinking about. The reality is the battle for your life and the battle for my life lies right here in the mind. It lies in what we're thinking and... uh, your destiny, your destiny, it will be determined by what you think because what you think determines how you feel. How you feel determines how you will behave. And we've seen over the last several weeks that there really is an enemy. There's an enemy called Satan. Peter told us a couple of weeks ago that Satan seeks to devour you. He seeks to destroy you. He's a formidable foe. Do not underrate him. In fact, in John chapter 8, Jesus called uh, Satan, the father of lies, and his major weapon against you and I is the lie, the lie or the half-truth. And we began several weeks ago looking at what I call the top 10 list, the top 10 lies of Satan. So let's just briefly go over what we've looked at. Lie number 10, Satan does not exist. Satan tries to convince us that he does not exist. And the reason why that's a potent lie is because, you see, if you believe that all thoughts are your thoughts, you're much more likely to act upon those thoughts. Lie number nine is all truth is relative. And what Satan tries to convince us of is that there are no absolutes in life and in this world. Lie number eight is the Bible. This book here is a man-made book. And you see, if this is a man-made book, it means that it contains errors. And if it contains errors, it's a nice book, but it's not an authoritative book. Lie number seven is you are missing out. You are missing. He tries to convince you and I that there's really something in this life to be had, and we're missing out on it. And Line number six kind of hitchhikes on line number seven, this world matters. And we really looked at that last week, that there's something in this world to accomplish that is really going to impress God. And we saw what a lie that really is. And so now this morning, I want to look at line number five. I want to move on to line number five. And line number five is this. You can listen to, you can watch anything you want because these things will not really hurt you. You know, in the book of Proverbs, Old Testament, and uh, let me tell you, in this day and time, one of the things that I have found in this culture that we're sorely lacking is common sense. You notice that? This, no, we just lack what I call regular horse sense or common sense. And if you read the book of Proverbs, in fact, Billy Graham used to say that he read a chapter of Proverbs every day. And it truly will make you a wise person. So I challenge you just to read the book of Proverbs, even a chapter a week along with your other reading. And in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 14, we're told this. Skip, can you put it up? A wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. I like that. A wise person is hungry for knowledge, but the fool feeds on trash. So which is it? Are you wise? Or are you fools? 
It's one or the other. You see, it all depends on what I'm feeding my mind. It depends on what you are feeding your mind. Uh, you know, one of my favorite movies, believe it or not, was a movie called, it came out several years ago, many years ago, Super Size Me. You remember that movie? Super Size Me. No, no, it's, it's a great movie. It really is. And, and, and the movie's about a guy, it's a documentary, it's about a guy by the name of Martin Spurlock. And, 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 and Martin decided that he was going to go on a 30-day experiment. And the 30-day experiment was he was only going to eat McDonald's food. So in other words, if it didn't come from McDonald's, he didn't need it. My kind of guy, all right? And uh, at the end of 30 days, at the end of 30 days this experiment, he had gained 25 pounds. His cholesterol had gone through the roof. And here's what really blew my mind. His liver resembled the liver of an alcoholic. And this bad food, this trashy food, actually began destroying his life, not just physically, but it began to affect his sleep negatively. It began to affect his relationships negatively. It began to affect his ability to work negatively. So it affected really every area of his life. And the Bible makes it crystal clear to us that just as trashy food destroys the body and its ability to function, trashy knowledge things that aren't true, we're going to look at, you know, uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 here in the next couple weeks, things that aren't true, things that aren't noble, things that aren't praiseworthy, we don't focus on those things, but we focus on gossip, half-truths, half-lies, salaciousness and whatnot, then we're going to be in the process, by the way, of destroying our souls, our minds. Your soul and your mind are synonymous, by the way, in Scripture. And so what you feed it If you're feeding it trash, it will literally begin to destroy you emotionally, spiritually, and ultimately behaviorally. In fact, you know, there are just reams and reams of secular studies that actually bear this out about what we listen to and what we read. Several years ago, an egghead, he was given a couple million dollars by the United States government, and he he was to study the effects of children who watch violent programming, all right? And after the study was concluded, the social scientist said this, and I quote him. He said, the evidence strongly points to the reality that children who watch violent programming are four times more likely to act out violently. Shocking, isn't it? Surprising, huh? Not at all, really, is it? I mean, it took $2 million for us to figure out that if someone's watching violent programming, they're going to act out in a violent manner, huh? I mean, I could have told the United States government that for $1 million. I mean, it just, you know, really, no. It just, it doesn't take a mental giant to see the connection. David Frost, you remember him? Skip put up his picture. Frost, of course, was a major media personality back in the 60s and the 70s and even the early 80s. And he, he once made this insightful observation. He's by no stretch a Christian or was he a theologian. But listen to what he said. He said, television is an invention that permits you to be entertained in your living room by people you wouldn't have in your home. <laughs> now that's both interesting and disturbing at the same time. Now, if you're a parent, you're going to find this interesting. Even if you're not a parent, I think you will find this study interesting. Several years ago, the Pediatrics Journal published an interesting study on 1,461 teenagers between the ages of 12 and 15. And for three years, they tracked their sexual activity. At the beginning of this study, all of these teenagers were virgins. And here's part of what they found in this study. 
I think you'll find this interesting. 51% of teens whose music listening mainly consisted of sexually charged lyrics began having sex within two years. Versus 29% of teens who did not listen to basically sexually charged lyrics or music. The researchers concluded with this statement. Listen to what they say. Teens will deny it. They will say, no, it's not the music. But our study indicates it is the music, and it is one of the most biggest impacts on our lives. End of quote. Don't kid yourself. You see, the real truth is what you watch, what you and I listen to, impacts our minds. And then when it impacts our minds, it will impact our behaviors. All right, let's look at line number four of Satan. Sin is not a big deal. Satan will try to convince us that sin is simply not a big deal. And, you know, he doesn't think it is a big deal, but let me tell you something. God certainly thinks it is a big deal. In fact, the Bible's crystal clear that God hates sin. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6 and verse 14, King Solomon tells us this. Skip, can you put it up? Proverbs six fourteen. There are six things that the Lord hates. I love this. No seven things. So we call that Hebraism. It's kind of to get your attention. Hey, there's six things the Lord hates. No, wait a minute. There's actually seven, and it kind of gets your attention. So here they are. You ever wonder what God hates? Haughty eyes. You know what haughty eyes are? It's pride. God hates pride. A person who's genuinely proud, they believe that they're really better than. They believe that they're better than everybody else. They actually believe that they are above the law. So he says, First of all, I hate a proud person. Then he says, I hate a lying tongue. Now, you're going to see this twice. He says, I hate a lying tongue. And then he says, I hate hands that kill the innocent. By the way, that includes abortion. He said, a heart that plots evil. There he's talking about things like murder and rape and stealing. Then he says, feet that race to do wrong. And there he's talking about the sensual sins. And then he says, I hate a false witness who pours out lies. Do you see that twice? Twice he talks about the tongue and lying. And then he says he hates a person who soars discord in a family. And that includes the church. God hates it when we sow discord, whether it's in our family or whether it's in a church. Now let me ask you this question. Why do you think God hates sin? He hates sin for two reasons. Number one, it is destructive to relationships. It is destructive to relationships. The second reason why God hates sin is it's destructive to the human soul. Some time ago, there was a man by the name of Daniel. And Daniel called, we'll call him a clergy type, all right, a pastor. And he invited him out to dinner. And as they were having dinner, Daniel revealed that he had decided to leave his wife of 15 years and his three children. He said he had found someone younger and someone prettier. And in fact, he gushed. He said, you know, to be honest, she makes me feel alive like I haven't felt in years. And Daniel went on to say this to the pastor, the clergy. Men, I know what I'm doing is wrong. And it will inflict tremendous and permanent damage to my wife, and to my three children, but I just can't resist. The pastor said as he was listening to this, his heart just broke. 
And then dessert came. And Daniel dropped the bomb on the pastor. He dropped this bombshell. He said, the real reason why, pastor, I invited you out tonight was I wanted to ask you a question. The question is this. Do you think God can forgive something as awful as I am about to do? And the pastor was blown away. And after he collected himself, he said, of course, Daniel, God can forgive. Just read your Bible. Now listen to what the pastor, though, said next. The problem is, Daniel, sin not only distances us from God, our very soul changes in the act of rebellion. And there is no guarantee that you will come back. The pastor concluded with these sobering words. You ask me about forgiveness now, but will you even want it later when it involves real repentance? The pastor said several months later, Daniel made the decision. He left his wife. He left his three kids. And here's the interesting part. He left his Christian fence because he said they're too narrow. And he said, I'm going to go find some more liberated friends. And the pastor said this. Daniel looks anything but liberated. You know, don't kid yourself. Sin damages relationships and sin damages the human soul. All right, let's look at lie number three. Lie number three is this. Satan will tell us that hell does not really exist. That hell does not really exist. You know, if there is no hell, now think about this. If there really is not a hell, then that means ultimately justice will never be administered to Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, or ISIS. Are you ready to concede that point? You see, if there really is no hell, then that means ultimately Sin pays, evil pays. In fact, we might even say, if there really is no hell, then you might say evil ultimately will win out. Now, the interesting point is, is if you read the four Gospels, Jesus Christ talks more about hell than any single person in the Bible. Did you know that? Jesus talks about hell more than any single person in the Bible. In fact, in Matthew in chapter 10, he says this. Skip, can you put it up? Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body, they cannot touch your soul. Now watch this. Fear only God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus Christ very clearly believed in an eternal hell. The cross, get put it up. The cross is the centerpiece of Christianity. The cross is simply the centerpiece of Christianity. And the cross represents two things. The first thing that the cross represents is God's love. You know, so often people will ask me, how do I know that God really loves me? How do I know that God really cares about me? And you know what my answer always is? The cross. The cross plain and simple. Do you know if you had only been the only person on planet earth, if I had been the only single person on planet earth, Jesus Christ would have put on human skin, very God, and he would have died for you. And he would have died for you. And he would have died for you. And he would have died for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, whoever trusts, whoever surrenders to him will not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but God sent his son into the world to save the world. You see, the cross represents incredible love. There is no greater love 
that was demonstrated other than the cross of Jesus Christ. Skip, can you put that picture back up? But I want you to know something. The cross also represents something else, and it's something very important. The cross represents justice. The cross represents the fact that God is a just God. You know, so often I will have people ask me, you know, Pastor, how can there be a God and he allows something like ISIS? How can there be a God who allows, you know, sex slavery in the world with little girls? How can there be a God who allows these cruel tyrants to exist and, 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 and who, who just persecute people and destroy people's lives? How can there be a God that allows that? And you know what my answer is? No one, no one ultimately gets away with anything. The cross represents that God is a just God and he will ultimately judge all evil and injustice. In fact, we're told this in the book of Revelation in chapter 20, you remember? Skip, can you put it up? Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Can you see that in your mind's eye? Earth and sky fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened. And by the way, you know what those books are? Do you remember? The books that will be open are, there's a book of your thoughts. Can you imagine? Every single thought has been recorded. Then there's a book on our words. Can you imagine that? Every single word that you I have ever spoken is in a book. And then there's the book of actions. Every single thing that we've ever done is recorded in a book. See, if it's not covered by the blood of Christ, it will come out of the great white throne judgment. And then it says that another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation is crystal clear on this point. Jesus is clear on this point. There is a lake of fire. Skip, can you put it up? There is truly a hell. There is an eternal hell. There is a lake of fire. And you say, how can God do that? I'll tell you how he can do it. Because God is a just God. The cross says so. And he said, no one, there is no one here, there is no one out there, there is no one who's ever lived. If their sins are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. Eternity in hell. I mean, this is serious business as we, as we run this thing down. I can't tell you how serious of what I'm talking about right now. It, it will be virtually not talked about in the American church because you see, you're going to be offended and you're going to leave. And you know what? God loves you and I certainly love you enough too. To let you know what the truth is. There is an eternal hell. And if your sins are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Then you will pay for it. You know Jesus on the cross experienced hell for you and me. That's why it became dark from 12 to 3. God the Father was laying the sins of the world upon him. And he experienced hell and he cries out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was doing it for you and he was doing it for me. But if we choose not to receive that, then we spend eternity 
in hell. In fact, we find this to be true as I wind down. And I want to look at this last portion of Scripture, Luke chapter 16. This, by the way, is not a parable. I do not believe that what you're going to look at here is a parable. And the reason, a lot of people want to treat it as a parable. But in parables, Jesus doesn't give names. You're going to see a name given here. So I think Jesus is talking about something that actually happened. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. Now, here's biblical humor, all right? Now, watch this. See, a lot of people miss this. Then the rich man also died, and he was buried. See, that's the great equalizer in life, is death. Both rich and poor die. And then it says this. The rich man also died, and he was buried, and his soul went to a place of the dead. There in torment he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, oh, Father Abraham, have some pity on me. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now here he is comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Now watch this last portion. Now watch this. Then the rich man said, Paul, please, Father Abraham, at least send him. He's speaking of Lazarus, now a resurrection to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want to warn them so they don't end up in a place of torment like this. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, that means the Bible, then they won't listen even if someone resurrects from the dead. Now, as we wind this thing down, I want to make two incredible observations here. The first observation is this. You know, I grew up kind of a hellion on wheels. And I remember saying to my buddies in high school, we used to say, oh, man, hell, hell, that's going to be a great place. You know, we're just going to have poker parties and beer parties there. You ever said something stupid like that? You know, well, there's a guy by the name of Ted Turner. Let's get put up his picture. You might know, remember Ted Turner. Ted Turner is kind of a media mogul. In fact, he started CNN, CNN. You might know him because he married Jane Fonda also. And uh, he also was known for his mouth. And several years ago, he was speaking at the, uh, you know, uh, National Press Club, and I, I just want to give you a portion of a speech. In, in, in the speech, he actually talked about, believe it or not, Christianity and hell. Now listen to what he said, all right? He said, Christianity is for losers. Christ may have died on the cross, but he shouldn't have bothered. I don't want anyone dying for me. I've had a few drinks, and I've had a few women, and if that's going to send me to hell, then so be it. Turner went on to say this stupid statement. Remember, heaven is going to be perfect, and I certainly don't want to be there. Those of us who go to hell, which will be the vast majority of us in this room, most journalists are going there. (laughs) And you had nervous laughter. Then Turner said this, but when we get to hell, we will have a chance to make things better because hell is supposed to be a mess, and heaven is supposed to be perfect. Who wants to go to a place that is perfect, boring, 
boring, boring. Now that's an idiot. And you know what? The man, the rich man burning in hell would beg to differ, by the way, with Ted Turner. Hell is not a pleasant place. And so now as we really wind this down, I'm going to give you the second observation. And this is really the challenge this morning. And the challenge is this. Do you know who the greatest evangelist is in the Bible? Well, you're killing me. The rich man burning in hell. I mean, you talk about a guy having a Roman candle, you know what? I mean, lit underneath him. I mean, this guy's burning in hell. And he said, the first thing he's thinking about other than his tongue, he said, I got five brothers. I got five brothers and I don't want him to go to a place like this. No, no. This guy, this guy suddenly gets it. You know, he didn't say, hey, 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 resurrect from the dead and tell my brothers how they can make millions of dollars. He didn't say, hey, have Lazarus resurrect from the dead and tell them how they can have a nice home and a nice life here on planet Earth. He didn't say that. He said, you got to have Lazarus resurrect and tell them, my brothers, that there's a real place like this. There's a place called hell. You know what blows my mind? No, it's just American Christianity. You know, I'm almost 59, so, you know, I can deserve to have no filters anymore, you know. But it just blows my mind. 93% of American Christians do not witness and have never told anybody that there's a heaven and there's a hell. No, no. Don't tell me. Don't tell me that it is love to know someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ and never tell him that there's a heaven and that there's a hell. You cannot possibly say that you love somebody and you know that if they were to die at that moment, they would spend eternity in hell. I mean, are we serious about that? You know, we were just at the Jesus Soda survey and Yesterday in uh, Troy, beautiful downtown Troy, Powers Park, and young man there, and you know he he thinks he's got his whole life before him, witnessing to him. And I asked him a simple question. I said, "What do you think your purpose in life is?" I love these guys. I don't know. I don't have a clue. Well, I said, "Join about ninety-five percent of the human race." What do you think the purpose of life is? You know what the purpose of life biblically is? The purpose of life is you got to make a choice. I got to make a choice. No, I mean, see, I'm, I'm not some radical believer. I just actually believe this stuff. It's, no, if you really grab hold of it and there really is a heaven and hell, you know what the purpose of life is? The purpose is you got to make a choice. You got to decide do you want to spend eternity with God? Do you want to spend eternity loving God? Do you love God now? See, you got to make the choice. And you make the choice now because, see, when you die, it's too late. It's simply flat out too late. So you got to make the decision. Do I want to spend eternity with God or do I want to spend eternity separated from God? And if you want to spend eternity with God, heaven's reserved, by the way, not for people who are good or nice. Wrong. Heaven is reserved for people who love God, who love Jesus. See, it's a love affair. It's a marriage relationship. 
We're, 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 we're the bride of Christ, right? It's a marriage relationship, so it starts here. If you're not head over heels in love now with Jesus, why in the world would you want to be in heaven? What do you think you're going to do? Do you know what heaven is about? It's about knowing this eternal being called God. You know him as Jesus and getting to know him more and more and more. He's eternal. That's what you're going to do. If you're not head and you're not fascinated by Jesus now, guess what? You're, you're, you're going to be in hell. And it's not a pretty place. And we've got far too many people who think, you know, so the purpose of life really is to decide which do you want. Most people, I, say, I hate to say it in the church, the American church terrifies me because it's just filled with people who really think, well, you know, I'd like to have 25 cents worth of God, but then I really want to do what I want to do. I really want to spend my life on me. And wow. Wow, that's going to be a scary time. You know, there was this pastor and he was, you know, talking on heaven and hell. And he said, you know, if I could give you a gift of five minutes in heaven or five minutes in hell, I would choose to give you five minutes in hell. I would choose to give you five minutes in hell. And you could have heard a pin drop because he said, you know what? It would end all worldliness. He goes, we wouldn't have a problem of worldliness anymore in the American church if I could just have people spend five minutes in hell. And he said, you know what? This town, he said, would never be the same after you and I spent five minutes in hell. I think he's right. I think he's right. I know he's right. Father, I know in many ways it wasn't an easy word, but Lord, truth is so freeing. It's so liberating and it's so simple. Satan seeks to confuse us with lies. He dangles before us glitter and tells us it matters. It's important. And we begin to chase after it. And ultimately, we find ourselves in bondage. We find ourselves empty. And we find ourselves experiencing death. You've given us the truth. And you said the truth not only will set us free, but the truth is narrow. It is narrow. And you said the truth is hard. It's a narrow road and it's a hard road. But, and few only take it. But those few who do, they truly find liberating life. They find your life. They find love and they find joy. And they find peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Oh, how can we possibly go after the cheap glitter that Satan puts before us rather than the life that you offer? I pray if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, who really hasn't made that decision, like that young man, I think of him, to really understand that the sole purpose of life is to make a choice. Because life is short and eternity is long.
And where will I really spend it? And for those of us that have really found the Lord Jesus Christ, may you light, may you, I, I just ask right now that you would light a fire underneath us and help us to realize that wherever we are, whatever family we're in, whatever neighborhood we're in, whatever place of work we're in, you've put us there as missionaries to ultimately share with them. There's just two choices in life. There's heaven and there's hell. And I just have your ways. We sing this last song, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.